turn with me to Judges chapter 6. We'll be reading from verses 11 through 27. It's a story of Gideon that we're about to read, and we will we'll read this passage, and then we'll look at a lot of the rest of Gideon's story as we go. Judges chapter 6, starting in verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abezrite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty warrior. Gideon answered him, But sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our ancestors recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has cast us off and given us into the hand of Midian. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. I hereby commission you. He responded, But sir, how can I deliver Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike down the Midianites, every one of them. Then he said to him, If now I have found favor with you, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my presence and set it before you. And he said, I will stay until you return. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a kid and unleavened cakes and an ephah of flour and meat. He put in the basket and the broth. He put in a pot and brought them to him under the oak and presented them. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of his staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. The fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes, and the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that it was the angel of the Lord, and Gideon said, Help me, Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abezrites. That night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull, the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that belongs to your father, and cut down the sacred pole that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here, in proper order. Then take the second bull, and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the sacrificed pole that you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten of his servants, and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the townspeople to do it by day, he did it by night. The word of the Lord. Well, Gideon's story is one of my favorite stories in Scripture because Gideon is, is just absurd. The, the whole story is absurd. Gideon is one of the characters in the Old Testament who, like David or like Samson, we probably mostly know from Sunday school classes, children's Sunday school classes, which means that most of what we know is a, a kind of watered-down and sanitized kids' version. We don't talk about the, the dirty details. Uh, when we talk about David, for example, in, in a children's Sunday school class, we usually focus on 
his faith in the story and the story of David and Goliath and how David stood against the giant, but we don't talk about the violence that he commits or the affair with Bathsheba or his betrayal of his own people as he fought with an enemy army against them. Instead, we treat him like a hero. But David isn't a hero in Scripture. He's a mess. His story is not so very black and white, and David's, God's love for David says a lot more about God's character than it does about the character of David. Gideon's kind of the same way. Gideon is nobody's hero, although we've made him a hero. Gideon, the whole way through, is a coward. In fact, his cowardice is drawn out so comically in Scripture that this story is written in a way that's intended to make its audience laugh. But Gideon's story, it shows us at least two things. It shows us the absurdity of fear when we trust in God, and it shows us the importance of being obedient to God even when we think we're not enough. Well, let's start with a little backstory, though, uh, before we get to Gideon. At this point in Israel's history, Israel is doing what Israel seems to do best, and unfortunately, that's not obedience. Israel is doing basically whatever Israel wants. Israel isn't thinking about God. Israel isn't remembering God or, or keeping God in front of them. In fact, Judges 6 classifies what Israel is doing as evil. The people are acting in ways that oppose their own well-being. And that's, that's a big part of what sin is. It's acting in ways that oppose the blessing that God wants to offer us. It's, it's acting in broken ways and choosing death. Israel is choosing death. They're choosing to worship idols rather than worshiping God. And the idols are inspiring all, all sorts of, of broken ways of living, uh, sexual immorality, uh, violence self-sufficiency. They're choosing death, and because God gives us what we choose, they're receiving death. For seven years, Israel lived this way, and for seven years, God gave them into the hands of their enemies, this time the Midianites. And the Midianites are bullies, like elementary school playground kind of bullies, take-your-lunch-money kind of bullies. Whenever Israel planted crops, the Midianites came and knocked the crops down and destroyed them. Whenever they acquired flocks or herds of animals, the Midianites would come by night and slaughter them. Midianites did whatever they could do to make Israel miserable. And for seven years, the, the, the Midianites have been making life just as miserable as they could. Now, God in that time raised up a prophet to call the people to repentance, but the people did not repent. And so their misery continued, and that's where Gideon enters our story. And Gideon is one of my favorite characters. Gideon's story is, is pretty funny all the way around because Gideon is just pretty pathetic, and the story recognizes it, and the story plays into it. Do you remember way back in elementary school when, when dodgeball teams were being divided up? There were two captains, and, and do you remember that kid who was always picked last for dodgeball? That was Gideon. That was, that was me. Yeah, a few of you are raising your hands too. You, you know that. You know what that's like. I remember one time my best friend was chosen as one of the captains, and I was like, I'm finally not going to be picked last. I was still picked last. I was picked last by the other team. I was that kid, and, and so was Gideon. <laughs> well, let me tell you what it's like to be that kid, right? Eventually, you just come to terms with it. The teams are being selected. I I go and I sit on a bench, I open up a book, maybe take a little nap, and finally I hear those words that I've come to know so well, oh man, that means we're stuck with Highland. <laughs> that, that's Gideon. Gideon's a man who's absolutely defeated. 
He was terrified of the other team. He knew he was going to be the first one to take a dodgeball to the face. And so he just spent his time trembling. Or at least that's the portrait that Judges paints of Gideon. Because in verse 11, we read that Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites, which is sort of like hiding in a locker so that the bully doesn't stuff you in the locker. In Gideon's time, there were threshing floors and there were wine presses, and they were constructed very differently and used for very different purposes. Threshing floors were large, unobstructed areas where wheat could be thrown into the air and the wind would blow through and separate the chaff and blow the chaff away. A wine press was basically a large pit carved out of a rock. And people would throw grapes in it and they'd dance around on the grapes with their bare feet until all the juice was squeezed out of them and the juice would run down deep into a container. And that was the beginning of wine. And when you drank it, you had to drink enough that you didn't remember that it was the product of someone's feet. Now imagine Gideon, he's down in a pit, he's down in a hole in the ground where the grape juice ran after it was being danced on, and, and he has his wheat down in this hole, and he's trying to separate it from the chaff in a hole in the ground where there is no wind, because he is too terrified that someone will come along and bully him. He's so scared of the Midianites, the playground bullies, that they're going to come and take that wheat from him, and, and he should be. That's what the Midianites do. But Gideon in this passage is the embodiment of cowardice. That's the point. And and the point is is to draw it out in such a way that it's a little bit comical. It would have registered as funny to hear this description of a man of God when this story was first told. Funnier still when the angel of the Lord told Gideon, the man who was threshing wheat in a wine press, when he referred to him as mighty warrior, Gideon, the mighty warrior? That makes you think, you've got the wrong guy. Like, you should have taken a left over there and found the mighty warrior. It's not Gideon. Gideon is no mighty warrior. If, if Gideon is the best that Israel has, they had probably just better surrender now. Gideon is drawn out as, as a kind of pathetic character sitting on this little sorry pile of wheat working in vain to separate the chaff in a place with no wind and... And it really just leads you to feel kind of sorry for the guy. But the angel says to Gideon, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon's unconvinced. Pardon me, my Lord, but if the Lord was with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that, that the ancestors told us about when they said, did the Lord not bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Gideon's saying, if the Lord is with us, Why don't I see any signs around me of his faithfulness? Which is kind of an interesting question because it was never God who turned his back on Israel. It was Israel who turned their back on God. Israel is engaging in pagan worship. Israel's taken matters into their own hands. Israel has chosen death and received it. It was Israel who stopped being faithful to God, stopped trusting in themselves for provision, and started trusting instead in Israel. In themselves for provision. God was not separating Himself from Israel. Israel was separating itself from God. I'm reminded when I feel most distant from God, and I think, I think many of us recognize those times in our lives where there just feels like there's distance, where that closeness that we once knew isn't there. When I feel most distance from God, it isn't because of decisions He has made. 
It's because of decisions I have made. It's things I've done or, or things I have left undone. Often it's because I haven't kept priorities in order or because I've been selfish. But I'm also reminded that we are often called to be the answers to our own prayers. And when we see that change is needed, it's often because God is preparing us to be change makers. Gideon sees distance between Israel and God so much so that he doesn't recognize God's presence in Israel any longer. Where is the blessing that we have been told about? Gideon thinks it's all God's fault, but he has it backwards. And the Lord responds to all of this with a commission. Go and be the solution to the problems you see, he says. Go and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Now, what should we expect to see? The, the great Gideon rising to the occasion? Oh, he starts to make excuses. I'm the weakest member of the weakest tribe in Israel. Not only does that highlight Gideon's weakness, it also tells us that he doesn't have any authority among his people. He's not what a leader is made out of, but the angel of the Lord responds to him saying, I will be with you. That's all he says, I'll be with you. That'll be enough. I'll be with you. The truth in this moment of Gideon's life is that he's being asked to do more than he's able to do. That, that's not a mystery to anyone. Gideon is incapable of this task. He is asked to defeat the Midianite army, to rescue Israel, to call them back to God, but he has no authority in Israel. No one is going to follow him out to battle. He's not a leader or a, midi, a military figure or a king. Even, even if he calls, who will listen? But he isn't being called to operate based on the authority that the people around him have given him or the authority that he's earned himself, the authority of humans. He's being asked to operate based on the authority of God. My guess is a lot of us know what it's like to stare at obstacles that seem much bigger than we are, bigger than what we can overcome, and we don't have the power or the strength or the authority to fix things. And can I ask you, what does it mean for you to go in the power of God, to hear the words, I will be with you, and trust that those words are enough? What does it look like in your situation? For Gideon, it meant step out of hiding. It meant stop cowering before your circumstances. It meant trust in God and be obedient to Him. Because you may be weak, and if you try and operate based on your own strength, you're likely to fail. But when God is your strength, He will provide. He will protect. And it may not always look exactly like you have imagined, but He will be faithful. By the time we get to the end of Gideon's story, we'll find that victory over the Midianites doesn't look anything like what anyone could have imagined. And the mighty warrior was mighty in faith, but never so much in strength. But despite your weaknesses, despite Gideon's weaknesses, God is strong and victory is his. When Gideon reminded God of Gideon's weakness and his tribe's weakness, the Lord said to Gideon, go in, your, in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian." Midian's hands. He said, am I not sending you? God is telling Gideon, I have chosen you. I have selected you for this task. And he says, I will be with you and you will strike down all of the Midianites, leaving none alive. Well, Gideon, he had to make sure it was the Lord. And so he prepared a sacrifice for him. And when he offered the sacrifice, fire flared up from the rock where Gideon sacrificed it and consumed the meat and the bread that Gideon had offered. And Gideon did exactly what we might expect Gideon to do. He freaked out. He, he panicked. 
He was so sure in that moment that he was going to die, but the Lord said to him, peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. And that night, the Lord gave Gideon instructions. Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bowl as a burnt offering. God calls Gideon to do what guys like Gideon never do. He calls them to pick a fight. Because Gideon, guys like Gideon, they know they're going to lose. But Gideon is obedient and does what God has commanded him. And the people, when they saw what Gideon had done, were furious, but they were scared to fight him. They were scared to fight on Baal's behalf. Baal was not a god who cared about his people. Baal was probably angry. And so they allowed Gideon to live. They expected that if, if Baal wants Gideon dead, Baal will kill him. And so they called him Jerub Baal, which loosely means the one who fights with Baal. I love that name because it recognizes that somehow, even though Baal isn't a real God, even though he doesn't exist, even though Gideon's battle was really against the mentality of the people around him, the faithlessness of the people around him, what he was doing was deeply spiritual. The one who fights with Baal. Eventually, the people would come to see that Gideon wasn't fighting against them. Gideon was fighting for them. Though the people were unhappy about it, God used Gideon to free them of the grip of worshiping the false god Baal. And Gideon, because he was obedient to God, became known as a person of great bravery, the one who battles against the gods, against Baal, whose objects of worship he destroyed under the safe cover of night, by the way, because he was too terrified to be seen by people while he did it. What I find interesting is that Gideon, Gideon never thought this could happen to him. The Midianites had put Gideon in his place. They had made him afraid. They convinced him that he was unworthy. They made him feel small. They bullied him until he felt so small that he hid in a wine press, terrified that the bullies might find him. It's so very easy to go around living as miniature versions of who we can be in God, of who God has called us to be, miniature versions of how God already sees us. Gideon was more than a cowering, pathetic weakling in a wine press. The angel addressed him as mighty warrior. Gideon was made to feel small because he believed the voices that told him he was small. He was no Midianite. He had no authority. He had no power to speak of. He was the least in a family that was least among families. But it wasn't Gideon's strength that God used. It was Gideon's weakness. In contrast to Gideon's weakness, God's strength is revealed. Now, I want to tell the, at least most of the rest of Gideon's story because it only continues to get more absurd. In Judges 7, starting in verse 2, the Lord said to Gideon, they've now gathered up an army of people who are ready to, to fight the Midianites. God says to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. That's what they have have done so far. They have attributed any blessing to themselves. They've, they've puffed up their chests and acted like they didn't need God. And so God's ready to whittle down the army. He says, now announce to the army, anyone who trembles in fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. 
So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. So Gideon started with an army of 32,000. Now he is down to a third of that, down to 10,000. But the Lord said to Gideon, there's still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. Now, I want you to, to try and get a mental image of what comes next, if you can imagine this scene. So Gideon took the men down to the water, and there the Lord said to him, separate those who lap water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. Can you get the image? 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping the water like a dog, and the rest of them got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and the trumpets of the others. I hope you're able to imagine that. 10,000 soldiers went down to the stream to drink, and God thins out those soldiers even more, supplying Gideon with a crew of men who drink like dogs. 300 dogman soldiers to fight the mighty army of Midian, 300 of the most embarrassing-looking soldiers that Israel has in their army. The soldiers knew they were an embarrassment, but they also knew that Gideon was kind of an embarrassment too. My favorite line is found in verse 13. Starting in verse 13, Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend of a dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed, and his friend responded, saying, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into our hands. Isn't that great? The man says, Hey, that clumsy loaf of bread, that's our leader. That loaf of bread is the guy we're following. This is good news. God is giving victory through this pathetic loaf of bread of a man. And when Gideon heard the dream, he knew it was true too. He, he bowed down and worshiped. He returned to the camp of Israel saying, get up, the Lord has given Midian into our hands. And here's the best part of the story. Gideon is no mighty warrior when it comes to battle, but, but he is when it comes to obedience. The dogmen, they can hardly be trusted with swords. Why would we arm them? They'll only do harm to themselves. And here's how the story concludes. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch. Just after they had changed the guard, they blew their trumpets and they broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew trumpets and smashed jars, grasping the torches in their left hand and holding in their right hands the trumpets that they were to blow. They shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all of the Midianites ran crying out as they fled. And when the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. Israel blew trumpets and broke clay jars, and the Midianite army became so disoriented that they began to run in circles and stab one another with their swords. The Midianites defeated themselves. The mighty warrior never had to use a sword. He only had to say yes to God. And that's what I want to leave you with today. Whatever is keeping you from saying yes to God, take a step out in faith. Whatever is keeping you from, 
from trusting that your feet will land on solid ground or whatever it is that is making you feel small, whatever convinces you that your strength is not enough, that voice is a lie. That voice is the same voice that kept Gideon in the wine press when he needed a threshing floor. It's the same voice that would keep us in chains rather than experiencing freedom in Christ. And so whether you are a person of great strength or a member of a cowardly company of dogmen, when you hear that voice, remind yourself that you are not small as that voice wants you to believe. You are a follower of God. You are a mighty warrior, and your God will not be defeated. Will you join me in prayer? Lord, we are reminded today that Gideon was a mighty warrior, not because of his strength or his bravery, but because you called him and he said yes. Because you were his strength. Because he trusted you as his provider and his protector. You were his God. And we recognize, Lord, that left to our own strength, our own ability, our own power, our own authority, we are not enough. Not enough to defeat the the power of sin, the obstacles that we face, the circumstances that threaten us. We are not enough, but you, Lord, you are enough. And so as you call us to obedience, to cut down idols of worship, to, to lead the way in faith, we pray, Lord, that our answer to you would be yes. That like Isaiah, when he recognized the sin of his people and his own sin, the need for repentance, he said, here, my Lord, send me use me. So, Lord, we pray, use us. Make us for you mighty warriors, not because of our strength, Lord, but because of your strength. Use us to the glory of your kingdom, not for our glory, but for your glory. Give us strength to follow you and to trust in you, Lord. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in Jesus' name.